Hello and welcome to Exploring the Art Market podcast. I'm your host, Maria Betsavovinens, business writer, IP lawyer, and mediator in love with the world of art. In previous episodes, I talked about numerous issues from mediation to art market bubbles and from determining the art value to legal protection of graffiti and the business of the most expensive artists of our times. All previous episodes are available on SoundCloud and iTunes. I will include all the relevant links in the notes to this episode. Today, I would like to talk about one fascinating subject, appropriation art. Everyone knows that it's a violation if you take someone else's work and use it without permission. Fair enough. But then comes Richard Prince, or Jeff Koons, about whom I talked in the previous episode. Let me explain. Simply put, appropriation is the use of objects or images already created by somebody else with little or no transformation applied to them. These objects or images then become part or even a whole of the new art object or an image. And here we enter into the shady area of copyright. Consider the well-known case of Andrea Blanche versus Jeff Koons. Miss Blanche took a photo of a woman's feet wearing Gucci sandals, silk sandals by Gucci. The photo was featured in the famous Allure magazine, and that's where Jeff Koons took it from to further incorporate in his painting Niagara. That painting contained several pairs of women's feet in different sandals. One of them was copy-paste of the photo of Andrea Blanche. To cut the long story short, Jeff Koons won the case. Was it because it was truly a transformative use as it was acknowledged by the judge? Or was it because by then Mr. Koons, seasoned in court's proceedings, already knew the right words to use in order to make his point? That remains a rhetorical question. To quote Jeff Koons himself, quote-unquote, the legs depicted in the allure photograph are a fact of the world, something that everyone experiences constantly. They are not anyone's legs in particular. By using a fragment of the allure photograph in my painting, I thus comment upon a culture and attitudes promoted and embodied in the allure magazine. In other words, he brought up the arguments of transformational use, different meaning, commentary on the existing phenomena. It would be fair to note, however, that there were numerous cases before where Jeff Koons lost the fair use argument. But that was when he was still exhibiting at smaller galleries, long before he made it to the Museum of Modern Art and the Met. Andrew Gilden and Timothy Green, in their article Fair Use for the Rich and Fabulous, elaborate on the above issue, posing a question. Why does a substantial reworking of Catcher in the Rye interfere with J.D. Salinger's right not to authorize derivative works, while Patrick Cariou Photographs are the raw material for the well-known appropriation artist Richard Prince. Indeed, fame comes with benefits. Yet truth must be told, that is also a matter of right framing. In 1977, there was a pivotal exhibition, Pictures, organized with curation of Douglas Crimp, that basically launched appropriation as the new art, as the new mode of representation. To note that appropriation as the form of art existed long before, yet after the said exhibition, this form of artistic expression was truly coined. The artists whose works were exhibited were, amongst others, Troy Bauntuch, Robert Longo and Sherry Levine. 
Levin became known for re-photographing photographs of Walker Evans. There's no recon recontextualization, aside from claims of being the archaeologist of present time. So that's really tricky. In fact, appropriation art is a multifaceted form. One might argue that the famous ready-mates of Marcel Duchamp are something different from the Marlboro cowboy of Richard Prince, but both of them belong to the domain of appropriation. Marcel Duchamp, his works are examples of installations. He took ordinary manufactured objects and exhibited them as the work of art. The explanation there was that the very fact that the artist selected these objects and repositioned them creates a completely new perception. Thus, the concept of recontextualization overrides the potential copyright issues. To drop some other names, Namjoon Pike and Judd Yalkut compressed and distorted mass media footages of Beatles concerts and presidential speeches. Louis Laurel made a series of behind-the-scenes photos of famous art objects, like, for example, a Picasso sculpture wrapped. Richard Pettibone made precise miniature recreations of iconic works. Robert Colescott, in his Les Demoiselles d'Alabama, clearly appropriated Pablo Picasso's Les Demoiselles d'Avignon, even though changing the color and adapting the content. Hélène Sturtevant hand-painted replicas of famous works. Andy Warhol silkscreened famous photographs, just to name the few. If you still feel like appropriation constitutes author's rights violation in the perception of the article Six Beasts of the Burn Convention, try to look at it from the point of view of parody. In the Comedy Productions Incorporated versus Gary Satterup, the California Supreme Court's judge referred to Andy Warhol in his commentary, saying, quote-unquote, through distortion and careful manipulation of context, Warhol was able to convey a message that went beyond the commercial exploitation of celebrity images and became a form of ironic social comment on dehumanization of celebrity itself. The judge further invokes the First Amendment protection, the freedom of speech, to basically back up the existence of appropriation art. In other words, irony and parody might be successfully used in order to substantiate the appropriation. Very recently, in the beginning of July, Artnet published an article about yet another appropriation case involving Warhol. The photographer Lynn Goldsmith filed a suit against the Warhol Foundation over her photo of the singer Prince, uh, which was assumedly pilfered by Andy Warhol. Goldsmith lost the case. To give another example to ponder about, there was also a case over Damien Hirst's sculpture Hymn, which was a 20-foot enlargement of the science set play figure. The case resulted in a settlement, with the undisclosed donation made by Mr. Hirst to charities. The bottom line, however, is that the original sculpture was sold for approximately £1 million, and after the settlement, further sold in four additional copies, for more or less the same amount. Thus, even with the settlement sum deducted, the appropriation seems like a profitable business. Pure economical considerations aside, there are also moral rights of the author at stake. In the Times article, If the copy is an artwork, then what's the original? Randy Kennedy elaborates on the feelings of the original author whose work has been appropriated. He looks at the story of Jim Kranz. 
Jim Krantz was the photographer who took the original cowboy photo. The appropriation artist Richard Prince re-photographed that photo from the advertisement, enlarged it and sold at Christie's in 2005 for $1.2 million, setting a new record for appropriation art. Mr. Kranz did not launch a lawsuit, yet his feelings were undoubtedly affected, as he craved recognition. This triggers several interesting points for the debate, first being whether there should be a distinction of high art versus low art, or in other words, is it about the actual art object or the value is all about the author's signature? In general, should the concept of originality be regarded as the property of the work or as the property of the author? The answer to that can have a long-stretching consequences for the development of copyright law. To conclude, I would like to cite Jeff Koons again, who said, quote-unquote, my paintings are not about objects or images that I might invent, but rather about how we relate to things that we actually experience. Whether you agree that such substantiation is enough to override the claim of copyright violation or not, that's up to you. Nevertheless, the case law proves that, on a lot of occasions, fair use claim can be invoked to back up appropriation art. Moreover, numerous appropriation works actually do what they claim, meaning they do provoke the discussion, they challenge the societal norms and customs, and overall, in a way, they enrich the world art heritage. That's it for today. I would really like to hear your thoughts. Please share them in the comment section or shoot them directly to my email, maria.boitsova at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Like, share, subscribe. And I would love to have you back for the next episode, which will be dedicated to Rybalov Lvovje case. My name is Maria Boitsova Wienens. Till next time on Exploring the Art Market podcast. <music>